Welcome to Marketing Mysteries Solved, where we explore the trials and triumphs of marketing for healthcare executives. Wendy O'Donovan Phillips, CEO of Big Buzz, is on the case, interviewing guests through her proprietary process and solving some of the toughest marketing challenges in the industry. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today, I have with me Brenda Abdilla. She is a strategic executive career and leadership coach, business author, and mid-career growth and change expert who has her PCC professional coaching credential and delivers high-level leadership coaching to executives and business owners like you. So excited to have her on the show. She is the chapter chair of the Denver Women Presidents Organization, of which I'm a proud member. And she's the author of Outsmarting Crazy Town a business novel about how derailed professionals can get back on track. Y'all are going to love this. And also, What's Your Lane? Career Clarity for Moms Who Want to Work a Little, a Lot, or Not at All. And for more than a decade, Brenda has coached my team and me to master sales, stay hyper-focused in our special lanes, navigate change and even crisis with focus and grace, and enjoy our best lives. And she's absolutely one of my favorite people. Welcome, Brenda. Well, thank you, Wendy. I am a huge fan of you, obviously. And then everything Big Buzz. I love the podcast. I love your team. The fact that you've retained your team for so long and stretched everyone in a way that they are always learning new things and delivering. I just am continually impressed. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're going to dive right in. In your most recent book, I'm so excited about this book because I think that our listeners are just going to get a lot out of it. And I think a lot of them can relate to this idea of crazy town. And so in the book, <laughs> you, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's sometimes crazy town in the care industry, or maybe every day it is. So in the book, you write the urban dictionary definition of crazy town. So that is living in a state of insanity or being around the crazy insane of the universe. And in your own words, crazy town is when work turns into a head-shaking, logic-defying, maddening place for you. It could be a situation, a state of being, a culture, or just your own private hell at mm. work. Can you give us some real-life examples that you've heard? Well, I think that where I came up with Crazy Town is that as an executive coach, I am bound by confidentiality. So I could never go to my family and say, you won't believe what I heard today. I can never say any of that. So I had to come, you know, but yet my face would be in shock or <laughs> I would be showing signs of stress, right? And so I just coined this phrase of, you know, the work world is crazy town right now. And that could mean, you know, a CEO who had completely lost his or her temper and, you know, completely unleashed on the team. It could mean customers and how increasingly demanding customers are and how that sort of can reach the absurd even or the amount of pressure. In the book, for example, it's about a 41-year-old leader whose company is acquired. And mergers and acquisitions tend to create a little crazy town, right? It's so much change. The human brain really struggles with change, especially initially. And so for me, that is all under the umbrella of crazy town. Absolutely. And I relate to it when I 
started my career before Big Buzz, I was working for a major design firm in downtown Denver and I was named junior partner. I was given this you know, fancy title after four years, but never given any real executive responsibility, even though I was so hungry for it. Like I was, I kind of had this mindset of like, I've got some really great ideas on how we might lead the firm better and how we might grow and scale the firm. And you see me applying a lot of that in Big Buzz now. But, you know, they wouldn't even share like the books or the sales figures with me. I'm like, I need the basics in order to help you move forward and help us move forward, you know, together. And then like to add sort of to the crazy town, like every evening as I walk past the general manager's desk to head home, she'd glare me down for like leaving (laughs) early. Like it was always dark. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It was such a dysfunctional atmosphere. And then that made me feel crazy. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think that we've moved toward transparency, right? Where people Mm -hmm. are generally privy to the figures and the goals and the issues and the problems. And I think that's a really good thing. And today's workforce, I mean, multiply how you felt as that junior partner times a hundred, because today's workforce wants to be part of the solution. They don't really believe in the hierarchy as much. And they really want to be part of it. And including them is is probably a good idea. And some examples that I see from folks that we work with in the senior living industry, we actually have a couple of clients who are at the helm of marketing, who are in charge of the marketing department with at least two that I could think of. And that's a large percentage, right? That are at the helm of the marketing department and yet have not been given any budget. Like it's like go get the estimates from the partners and then we'll decide. We can spend. And I can watch them. Like they're so maddening for them. Or another example is you know someone's been hired on as vice president of marketing or chief marketing officer, but then doesn't really have a seat at the table. Right. Like it's like well, and I see this all the time in marketing and sometimes in sales too, where it's like. Oh, like that's sort of that artful relationship, <laughs> esoteric thing that's Not happening anymore. over there. While like our finance people are really like getting done a brass tacks. So where I see it very functional is where the CMO or the marketing director has a seat at the table. And we see, we have clients who, who have that. Absolutely. Well. And they need that context approximately... One million years ago, I used to be involved in marketing. (laughs) And I remember one of my clients saying, oh, marketing is the easiest thing to spend money on because it's the only chance I have of getting a return. Everything else is just an expense, (laughs) right? And so, but marketing now, the reason I'm not in it, and you are, is that marketing is all about the data. It's all about the results. And that head of marketing needs context. They need to be at that Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. So going along that thread and thinking about solutions to being in crazy town, you offer in the book four keys to outsmarting crazy town. One, learn to deal with stress like a boss. Two, figure out your career superpower. I love that. Three, find your blind spots. And four, develop and leverage your network. If you were to pick one to start with for our listeners, which one would it be? And Well, I started with stress in the book because if you are in a constant state of being triggered, you can't do any of the other things, right? No, no you can't. So, and you know, what I tell my clients is 10 minutes of meditation ain't going to cut it anymore, right? You need a whole life 
strategy for dealing with your stress. And COVID is a perfect example of all the stress came right into our homes, right? Affected our children, our parents, our grandparents, our family, our travel, everything. And so I think I would talk about resilience now. And what is your personal formula? Like you can't miss workouts. If you are working full time, and especially if you're in leadership, and you know, double that if you're in the senior living industry, you have to get some exercise, you have to move your body. And that's not just to be skinny. That's from a neurological point of view. You need you, right. you know, we're not wired to take all of this stress still and sitting down right? We need to move. And so your exercise, your diet, your mental health, your marital health, your home, your environment, these things matter more than ever. And that's how you deal with stress like a boss is that you realize that your stress strategies are vital. And then you can move to your career superpower, uh, which is my way of talking about strengths instead of passion. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. I had a physician tell me one time that if you were to start with any one of those sort of self-care categories, first of all, it's not a luxury any longer. It is absolutely a necessity. I'm on board with you on that. And she said to me, go for sleep (laughs) first. Make sure that you are sleeping extraordinarily well. All else will follow. And I don't know about you, but I have had, especially this past year, I ha- I went through about three months of incessant insomnia yeah. and it wrecks everything. It just wrecks everything. Yes. And I know people, my husband included, who are chronic insomniacs. And so they, you know, I'm sure we have listeners who go, I don't know any different, right? right? And I didn't know any different except being a really great sleeper until this past year. And so, yeah, I mean, whatever, it, I remember um, you told me years ago, I was getting ready to go on to some high profile lecture. And you said, whatever you need to safely do to take care of yourself and get a great night's rest and be yourself on that stage, you safely yep. do that. And I carry that with me every time I travel yep. and, and, and often just, you know, in times of stress, cause it's like, if I need to take an over-the-counter sleep aid, if I need to call my doctor and say, you know, I need a little more support, yep. just starting with sleep makes a big, big difference. It's funny. I started working with a nutritionist about five years ago, and that was her first agenda item is how's your sleep, which was terrible. But I was like, no, I don't want to talk about <laughs> right. that. I want to talk about my gut health or losing weight or whatever. <laughs> right. She's like, uh-uh. Right. First we tackle the sleep. <sighs> and sure enough, we did. And now I just have so much empathy for people that can't sleep because I have to do a lot to encourage sleep, right? I take supplements. I take care of myself. I don't do screen time, you know, all the things, dark room, cold mm-hmm. room. And I read the book, Why We Sleep this year at the beginning of the year, and it was groundbreaking for me. So that's a really good Ooh. point on the stress factor is get your sleep sorted. I'll have to pick up that book. I have read many a Brenda <laughs> recommended book. So if she recommends it, I recommend it. Okay. Can we talk for a second about boundaries? Cause that was where my head went to It's like learn to deal with stress like a boss. Like there are certain things that are 100% within my control. Then like for the longest time, I thought that boundary setting was for the other person. (laughs) Like I set this boundary. So you you get out of my hula hoop. And in fact, boundary setting is for me. Like I set this boundary so I can stay in my hula hoop where I'm at my best. What are your thoughts on setting boundaries? Well, I think first of all, that as a culture, I think that we try to make busyness and overwhelm and no sleep and no time, we try to make it kind of sexy. 
and it's not. Mm. And so boundaries is really <laughs> about the fact that in order to have some of the bigger yeses in your life, you have to say no. And yes. how you say no is artful. And also, if you just look at your household as, for example, if you're part of a couple, what is going to be a no for one person may be a yes for another person, right? Like my husband can do much better without sleep than I can. I fall apart after one night of interrupted sleep. And so, yeah, that's an important thing, right? I can't eat the same way mm -hmm. my husband eats. We don't sleep the same mm -hmm. way. And so boundaries are really about like a really great example to practice boundaries in your mind is if you think about the holiday season, right? What do you need during the holiday season? What is nurturing for you? And what is really draining? And that's a great, really concrete thing to look at. And then as far as your life is concerned, right? What's the best work rhythm for you? Where are you most productive? And how can you set boundaries around that? One of the things I notice is that now the new data is that the average worker professional goes three minutes before they're interrupted. How do you get anything done wow. if you're interrupted every three minutes? How would you and I have this conversation if every three minutes we were interrupted or our phone went off or we had a reminder and something like 53% of the interruptions are our own settings on our devices, right? Right. Reminders, previews, push notifications. And so that is a great place to start with the boundary setting so that you can focus on the spreadsheet. You can focus on preparing the slide deck. What is needed? What is the most important part of your work? At the agency at Big Buzz, we use the Pomodoro method. So we actually have, we each have these kitschy little timers oh. on our desks. And the idea is you work in sprints. So I do a tw so I know 20 minutes, is, right? Um, 25 minutes is the short Pomodoro sprint. And then a, you could do a 55 mm. minute with it at minimum of a five minute break in between. And I know that for our listeners, that's not always you know, a reality that sometimes we land at our desks and it's like, I've got six hours of work that I need to complete in two hours before I go pick up my right. kiddo from school. And yet, if you only have those two hours, like what I find is like working those two hours in 25 minute sprints with five minute breaks just makes me so much more clear, yeah. so much more focused. Right. And I love what you talked about with the holidays. Uh, what came to my mind is that on an average day, I will say to my family, I am not fit for public right now. I am putting myself in timeout and I will be back again. Like I find like 15, a 15 or 20 minute break when I'm really mm. like folly a party is what yeah. I call it really does me good. And then during the holidays, I have learned, I host this big party with like 12 of our closest friends and I love it. I also am a hybrid introvert, extrovert. So I, I love it. I get a lot of energy, but I also like it in small bursts, right? And so I excuse myself. I don't even say excuse me. I don't tell anyone, like they're all having a great time. They're going to entertain themselves. And I will go, I commit to myself before everyone comes over. I am going to go in my room and light a candle and have mm -hmm. just like a dark sit for 15 minutes by myself during the party. Yeah. And my grandmother used to do that. She would go to the basement and listen to the party see if it was a good party. I love <laughs> that. Me, it's more about taking a break. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. What you're describing is called ambivert and the listeners can mm. Google it because it's a person who is an extrovert, 
but who needs quiet and solo time in order to recover versus an introvert who is not extroverted and needs quiet and solo time to recover. Right, right. And just honoring and respecting how we're wired and who yes. we are and giving ourselves what we need on a minute by minute basis. Well, and the Pomodoro um, method, so, I just want to say, I don't think anybody listening gets 25 minutes of focus time. Not according to the it's true. people that I work and coach with. And so that even right. the 25 minutes of straight focus working on one thing, oh, that's a game changer right there. Yeah. And it's not going to be perfect. I'm definitely interrupted it during my sprints, but the more that I practice it, the fewer interruptions I find that I'm willing to accept. And so again, I'm in my hula hoop going, I'm not going to accept. I hear that. I hear you. And I'm going to need to talk to you another time. So it's a practice like everything Absolutely. else. Earlier this year, you shared with our WPO group, a quote from Brene Brown that again, I could just put it in my pocket and I carry with me all the time. I quote you, I quote, quote Brene Brown through you. Everyone is threadbare, mm. including you, including you. I think of it so often reminding myself we've all been through hell and that I'm not like, I love the last part of that quote, including you. I'm not exempt. Mm -hmm. Like it could be really easy to think I'm the only one suffering in crazy town or on the flip side, I'm the only one thriving. How do you recommend we step out of that black and white thinking? Well, I got that Brene Brown quote from an HR expert that I brought in for one of my groups. And she said, <laughs> everyone is threadbare. All of your team is threadbare. And one of the CEOs in the room raised her hand and said, I'm threadbare because I've been protecting them. They cannot be threadbare. And she said, your job is to move into acceptance, right? To not fight the fact that whether or not you judge people as worthy of being threadbare, they are because the crisis that happened in our country for two years was real and it affected people on a number of levels. And we can't really stand in judgment of how that impacted them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you've also taught me like that short bouts of extreme thinking, usually guided with you present <laughs> as a coach, can, <laughs> can help me gain perspective. Like, I think you call this going to the ugly. Like if I'm spinning out about something, you'll be like, what's the absolute worst case scenario? And I did this recently when I, I was in Mexico and I was just, I was as a business owner, the, those who are listening, who are owners know what it's like to just hit a wall sometimes and be like, why am I even doing this? And I took a really long walk on a beach in Mexico and thought, why am I doing this? And what, what is the absolute worst case scenario? Okay. Worst case scenario is I go out of business and then what? And I, and I could hear your voice and then what? And I'm like, then I'd be fine. Like I'd go get a job as a, you know, VP of marketing somewhere. And you always say, and then you'd like then you know, what? quit that in a minute because we'd want to be out over the fluorescent lights and you like being an entrepreneur. But why does that work? Like, why does that like short burst of going to the absolute worst case scenario work? I think our American culture tells us not to go there. Don't go to the ugly, be positive, yeah. put a positive spin on it. So you're tired, you're exhausted, your customer base is impossible, you're short staff and the American culture tells us just think positively, but there's a missing step. And the missing step is I give up. I hate this. I'm going to go, or what all my clients do is I call a stress fantasy. I'm going to go work at Starbucks. 
Well, let that play out for a minute because that's what I do with my clients. <laughs> I go, okay, let's say that you go to work at Starbucks. How long are you going to work at Starbucks before you take over everything? and redo their system. And now you're in charge of hiring and now you're in charge. So, (laughs) but I think we have to let ourselves go there. I think it's incredibly relieving to the human brain, right? To not have to hold some negative thought at bay. It's much more relieving and problem solving if you say, okay, this is awful. I don't like it. It's too much. I'm threadbare. And then from there, you can build. But if you're spending all your energy trying to avoid that, then you don't get to the solution. Right, right. And then on the flip side, like when I have been, I'm beginning a new chapter in worker life, you ask, you have a very eloquent way of taking me through vision work of like really experiencing what do you imagine as a vision for this future and describe it to me in great detail. And what does your like best mentor ever tell you about where you have brought yourself? Why is it so effective just to describe those scenarios, especially in great detail to another person? Well, the human brain cannot, for all of its brilliance, it cannot discern between what you're imagining and what is real. And now we have all of the data to support what they're doing with professional athletes, right? They are spending time visualizing, making it over the hurdle, past the finish line, their repetitions and all of that. And so I love to take my clients through an exercise, for example, where they meet their future self. And they are already, they have already attained their goals, their current goals. And that future self compliments them and advises them. And all of that detail is incredibly inspiring to the human brain. So our mutual friend, Mary Laverty, a life balance expert, she talks about watch your movie every day, right? So make a movie of what you want. And then um, because the human brain can make it like a movie, you can speed it up, you can rewind it, you can stop at certain places, but you have that power. And it's incredibly uplifting from a neurological point of view and a psychological point of view. It seems silly, but it works. I love that. You recently gave me a copy of the book, Rich as Please. Uh-huh. And my whole team, my whole leadership team is reading it now. And we all have written out our positive vision for our futures. And we're each reading it aloud every day. Like we're watching I our movie every it. day. I've never heard it said that. And I, that way, and I'm going to, I'm going into my leadership team meeting after this, but we're going through a big growth spurt, which is sometimes really uncomfortable as a company. Right. And I, and I know that a lot of our listeners are going through that, you know, as you said, with either merger or acquisition or just like really fast scaling and just to be able to get grounded and say, this is the future that I see for myself. If you're an owner, this is the future that I see for my company. There is neurological science that shows us, that tells us definitively, it reworks the pathways of the brain. And I mean, it's not just woo-woo magical thinking. Like Jim Carrey said, when he wrote himself a $10 million check, he said to Oprah Winfrey, you don't just then go eat a sandwich, (laughs) quote unquote. (laughs) You You got to go do the work. 
Right. But there's something to be said for just staying in that mindset of it's coming and it's working and it's coming and it's here now. And this is and what I'm it looks like. All this. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, whether you're the executive director of a senior living community or you're a sales professional, treat yourself like a professional athlete. Think about all the things they do, how they take care of themselves, how they prepare, what they visualize, because we have all the data to support that it works for them. All right. After a quick break, we are going to talk concrete strategies and tools for staying on your best path, regardless of outside circumstances. We'll be right back. Can't wait for answers to some of your biggest marketing challenges? Go to bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast and download a free chapter of your choice of one of Wendy's best-selling books. She has a book just for the senior living industry, one for medical organizations, and another one just for dentists. Most healthcare organizations feel overwhelmed about marketing. Wendy offers the cure. Her concise handbook shines a light on how you can put a method to your marketing for years to come. Visit bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast to download your free marketing book excerpt now. That's bigbuzzinc.com slash podcast. And now back to the show. Brenda, you're a big proponent of the Enneagram typing system. And you and I, you just led a workshop that I was in on this. Can you share what that is and how it informs the way we interact and excel at work? Sure. Uh, the Enneagram is unique in that it measures our psychological motivation. So most of the other assessments I use and most of the ones that your listeners have taken are all about behavioral. So MBTI, the Myers-Briggs or DISC, they're about behavioral, right? You are intuitive, so you're an I. Or if you're on the disc, you're very friendly and outgoing, so you're an I. The Enneagram is about why you're outgoing or why you're a perfectionist or why you are bossy, <laughs> for example. And that, I think, is one of the most important things we can know about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm a two on the Enneagram, which means that I'm empathetic and sincere and warm hearted, but I can, there's a dark side to all of these too, right? I could be sent, like overly sentimental, flattering. I could be a people pleaser. What are you on the Enneagram and what is it? Yeah. Mean? So there are nine different types and no type is better than the other. And there's no type that's ideal for any particular career role, which is wonderful. So I'm a type seven, which is the enthusiast. And yeah, I tend to put a positive spin on things. So sevens also have a dark side of staying too much on the surface. So I like to think that I'm a little healthier because I do try to go deeper and really tap into uh, more specific expertise rather than staying on the surface. So as an experiment, if you and I were working together on a team, I'm a two, you're a seven, What's going to go well? Well, we have a lot of common, we are lookalike types in that we're both warm and friendly and positive. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. may be a difference because I assume that's the next question. <laughs> Where's the conflict uh -huh, going to be? Uh -huh. In that uh, sevens, the enthusiast is an assertive type and the two is a compliant type. So that's where there may be a rub. Let's say we both want to present something or address something that went wrong, you would want to maybe avoid that 
and avoid hurting mm-hmm. anybody's feelings. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. care quite as much about other people's feelings. <laughs> Which could make a really good team, yes. right? Like if we had a had a mutual client and there was a conflict, I might say, I just want to, uh, we'll just do it her way so that we don't have to, you know, ruffle any feathers. And you might say, no, let's just walk right into that dark cave and have the conversation. <laughs> yes. And that could be a very good, healthy tension. Absolutely. On My husband is a nine. He's the peacemaker and we balance each other out, right? He's almost always saying, whoa, 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 whoa. So let's take a minute here. And I'm always saying, hurry up, let's make that decision and move forward. So it's a nice balance. Absolutely. And then you mentioned the DISC, so D-I-S-C, Work of Leaders Assessment. Can you share what that is and how it informs the way? It's like our behavior, right? So Enneagram, in order to work it from a team perspective, you really have to have like a workshop and understand each of the nine types and the dynamic. Because it is psychological, you can't always guess it about somebody. The DISC, and I think they go together very well, the DISC you can guess about somebody. So for example, D and I are both fast paced. D is like dominant, results oriented. I is interactive and also results oriented. They both are fast paced. And so if you have a client or a prospect that is like tapping their foot and moving quickly or talking fast, you have a 50% chance of guessing right. They're either a D or an I. The S or the C is the S is steady, more systems oriented warm and friendly, but has a a slower communication approach, right? They might be quiet, Mm -hmm. whereas the D and the I are Mm -hmm. almost never going to be quiet. (laughs) The C is... Okay, so going back... Sorry, the C is conscientious. And so S and C are going to be more listen-focused. And so I like the DISC because it's kind of light and surface level. So you can guess people and you can speed up your delivery or slow down your delivery or be ready to answer questions based on their type. Great. And so going back to our example, I'm a D on the disc, which means I'm direct and decisive and I prefer to lead rather than follow. And I tend towards leadership and management positions. What are you on the disc and what does it mean? Off the charts, I, yes. So interpersonal, like yes. relating to others. Yes, really empathizing and relating. And your D is a little bit contrasting to your type two, which you probably have felt, Sure, right? Like there's part of mm-hmm. you that's the businesswoman that's like, move this thing forward. And then there's the two that's like, but will anybody <laughs> get their feelings hurt? Exactly. Oh, that is so me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So going back to our example, I'm a D, you're an I, given our differing disc types, we're on the same team together in our in our scenario. What's going to work well and what do we need to look out for? Well, we both want results. We're both yes. direct in our communication, although I may be want the one to soften the message a little bit mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. give the brighter perspective, whereas the D in you would want to just... What they say about D's is you're either in or you're in the way, right? And so that's that (laughs) part of you, right? Which we all have part of all the types, but that's that part of you that is like very bottom line oriented. So Mm -hmm. we bring that both, both types, D and I would bring that to the equation. 
Nice. Okay, good. And you have an arsenal of other tools and <laughs> strategies that you use to coach folks. I'm ever fascinated by all of them. How can folks get in touch with you? Well, an easy way is that we have outsmartingcrazytown.com is the easiest thing to type in and it actually takes you to our Management Momentum website. So we picked Management Momentum in the 90s and I didn't know it was going to be like a spelling test for people. So the easiest right. thing is just outsmartingcrazytown.com. Excellent. Okay, last question. You once told me that advice is just criticism dressed up in a cashmere sweater. And you coach our WPO chapter to share only experience and never advice. Why is sharing experience so much more effective? Yeah. And I just want to honor everybody and empathize to say it's really hard not to give advice. It's hard for me not to give advice, it is. right? But we get in problem solving mode and problems are coming at us and we want to solve problems. And that is all advice giving. Whereas what's better from a neurological point of view, because people shut down as soon as you say, here's what you should do. Mm -hmm. They shut their little minds. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's their power against you and your advice. And so what's smarter is to, to activate their brains, right? To say, Wendy, that was really an interesting interaction with that care team the other day. How do you think we could have done it differently? Right. So now you're activating the brain of others and it creates dialogue rather than this one way lecture. So good. So good. Thank you, Brenda, so much for sharing your experience and expertise with us today. And I'm sure I'll see you really soon. Yep. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to Marketing Mysteries Solved. If you found this episode enlightening, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. To hire Wendy to speak to your organization or to explore working together, get started now at BigBuzzInc.com. That's BigBuzzInc.com. We look forward to connecting with you. Thank <laughs> you.